So my position is when you really start to understand Bitcoin, uh, I think we can have a discussion of, of, of saying, hey, Bitcoin is ESG. And if we if we start talking about um, climate change and as Bitcoin are saying, oh, climate change doesn't exist as we if we are climate change deniers, I, I think that's actually a disservice to Bitcoin because Bitcoin is, you know, it's an apex environmental solution because it flips the incentive from hyperconsumption to conservation. Let's absolutely go. My name is Patrick and welcome to the Bitcoin Pitch Podcast, where I'll chat with anyone in Bitcoin. I don't care if you're a pleb, anon, or OG, you'll be giving us your Bitcoin elevator pitch and answer some quick-hitting Bitcoin questions that will be beneficial to newcomers. The goal of the show is to keep it short and sweet for all those people you are trying to orange pill. Today's guest is Brian Solston. Brian is an aerospace engineer and software developer focusing on product lifecycle management. Brian created the book Zeminal and also 19 use cases for Bitcoin, which we covered today. Here's my conversation with Brian Solston. All right. Thanks so much, Brian Solston, for coming on the Bitcoin Pitch Podcast. Really appreciate you taking some time to talk about Bitcoin today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on your show. I've listened to it multiple times and really enjoy your format. All right. So to get into it, um, <clears throat> could you give a little bit of background about yourself and then also how you got into Bitcoin? Yeah, I'm an aerospace engineer and also a software developer. And right now I'm, I'm focusing on uh, product lifecycle management or PLM. And, and what hooked me on, on Bitcoin was really the unbreakable encryption and also the decentralized architecture. Um, the, 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 the innovation, the Bitcoin innovation was decentralization. And, uh, you know, I, I used to work for a, a search engine company before uh, Google was around. And because of encryption, we could not we had limits on what kind of encryption we could do back then. Well, things have evolved because of Phil Zimmerman, PGP, Supreme Court, and they can export that stuff now. And uh, Bitcoin, the fact that they have made, or Bitcoin has an unbreakable decentralized network, you know, China can't break it, uh, that hooked me. That's why I got into Bitcoin. And I started studying it, uh, and I went all in in 2017. And um... You know, when you, I guess, you know, you said you went in in 2017. How how long did it take you to kind of get to that point of like learning about it and really uh, uh, getting into it? I would say it. You know, I had a few touch points before 2017. Um, they were very limited touch points. Uh, it took me about three months to ramp up on Bitcoin before I really got it. You know, when you can kind of see past the price goes up story and start to understand what is the network, what is Bitcoin in comparison to what we have. Yeah. And uh, I know for me personally, when I got into it, it was, well, I initially bought Ethereum uh, in May, 2020, just because I had some extra money and I really was kind of just looking at the charts of like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I was like, well, it'd be pretty cool if these went back to an all-time high, like that would be cool. Like that, that's, that's literally all I thought about it. And uh, of course, once you kind of get invested in something, you want to learn more and more about it. And so I started to just learn about Ethereum and every time I would try to learn something about it, it just, it just kept coming back to Bitcoin. And Bitcoin just started to make more and more sense to me. So it took me probably a while and I wasn't fully probably interested in it completely until like towards October of 2020. And that's when I made my first purchase of Bitcoin. And then at that point, like it kind of, that's where like kind of the price like took off a little bit towards the end of that year and into the new year. Um, and then I was just like, I need to learn as much as possible because if I don't, I know I'm going to sell this. Um, and, and that's just kind of my story. I mean, it probably took me a little bit longer, but I think after I made my first larger buy, that's when it, I really kind of kicked it into gear and I just listened to as many podcasts as I could. And, you know, I bought some, uh, I bought the Bitcoin standard. I bought some other books too, layered money, you kind of name it. it. Like 
basic Bitcoin books and just wanted to learn as quickly as I could to gain that conviction. Yeah, likewise. It's it's uh, for me, it, it just increasingly became uh, the most fascinating software topic. Um, so I started buying the technical books and getting into that. And Anthony, uh, uh, you know, Andrew, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce his last name very well, but uh, you know, he contributed a, a huge contribution to that space and and really enjoyed the his content. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't. Are you talking about uh, Antonopoulos? Is that how you say his last name? Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I don't think I, I probably watched a couple videos, but just because of the time difference, like you know, if I had probably gotten in around 2017, that that was probably the 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 best content there was at the time. Um, now there's just like so much that you know I haven't even I haven't even really looked into that stuff. Um, that stuff that he's put out, but. You know, people who have been here longer definitely always point to him as a good resource. Oh, yes. Um, so to get into, I guess, your background a little bit, what what is Zeminal and what is that all about? Well, Zeminal is, a, I just felt compelled to, to write my narrative. Everyone has a unique narrative when, when they come into Bitcoin. And I wanted, Zenimal is just Zen and minimalism coming together. Zen is something that I learned to appreciate in, in my, my younger years. And uh, so I, I wrote a Zenimal, just kind of a, a digital transformation for the soul, because Bitcoin will do that to you. Uh, you, you it, it's really about shedding stuff, which is about kind of the, let's call it the, the Zen minimalism. And not, ever, not everyone is skilled in shedding stuff. So I cover a lot of content on that. And then also I get into building consensus, which meditation helps you build consensus, uh, not only within your own mind, but with this, that ability to listen to other people and, and go through that education cycle with groups, which is very important. And then I talk about Bitcoin, which I call the macro consensus. And later, since I wrote the book, I've noticed people are using the word um, Nakamoto consensus. Uh, I, I'm talking about the same thing when I, when in Zenimal, I'm talking about the the macro consensus, and that was that was the innovation that Satoshi brought to everyone was a lot of these different elements, you know, solving the Byzantine generals problem, um, you know, that been people have been pursuing that, you know, as of today, uh, they were pursuing that almost 50 years ago, and and they couldn't fix, they couldn't do it right. And uh, Satoshi came along and, and created an elegant solution and solved the Byzantine general's problem. And so that macro consensus is, uh, it, it, it's the elegant center, I, I believe, of the innovation that, that, that Bitcoin brought to all of us. Yeah, and you mentioned the changes too that kind of Bitcoin does to people. And I know for me especially, um, it, it, it puts people in that low time preference uh, where you don't need immediate uh, gratification right away. You know, I feel like that's, that's another tough thing uh, to get, you know, people not into Bitcoin to wrap their head around because, you know, media and just outside of just normal, normal life. It's just always like we, you, you want something immediately, whether it be um, you're, you're getting in shape and you want to work out and you want to look better, feel better. Like we want to work out once and we want it to be over. Basically the time doesn't want to be put into um, get the results. And I feel like with Bitcoin, it, it really teaches you about that low time preference. And just if you stay at it long enough, um, you know, you'll be rewarded over time. Um, yeah. It's just very interesting. Uh, like you said, how, how it can change your incentive structure basically yeah and, and i'll get into this later on but it, it certainly flips the incentive from from hyper consumption to to savings and conservation and there's a lot to unpack on that one statement and i think there's a lot to unpack on what you said but 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 it's the same it, it, same topic two different windows right right um so if you could go back in time and convince yourself about bitcoin the first time you heard about it knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself and why? Um, obviously, however, you can't say the price is going to go crazy. Well, I would say that it is the most decentralized money, um, you know, comprising 21 million Bitcoin. 
times 100 million sats and uh, the most decentralized network out there. And it is better than gold in terms of time because the inflation rate continues to decrease every four years. And then it's way better than gold over space because you can't move heavy bulky gold around the world. But digital Bitcoin moves very fast. Now, of course, on the first, on the blockchain, it, it takes perhaps 10 minutes to an hour to confirm or get the multiple confirmations that you need. But with Lightning Network, it moves at the speed of light. Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> I've, I've mentioned, you know, to friends like about, you know, yeah, it's, it's slower transaction throughput. But I don't know, I feel like anyone who's maybe not against Bitcoin, but maybe for other protocols, they completely dismiss the Lightning Network. And I, don't, I just don't understand why. It's like that solves the problem of the, the speed issue that gets brought up recurringly over time. And Well, I, I was in El Salvador and it, hmm. it confirms in less than two seconds. It's amazing how fast it is. Yeah, and you said you were in El Salvador. What time frame were you there? And like, what were the, some of the things that you noticed? Like, uh, did you get any like feedback from people there as uh, like how they see Bitcoin? Or I don't know if it was too new or, or was it before that or after they, they made it a legal tender? Well, I was there five weeks before the legalization. I had to leave it like a day before the legalization of Bitcoin in El Salvador. But I was there just touring around, seeing the country, uh, talking Bitcoin, hanging out with Bitcoiners, uh, you know, and the, the sense that I had is there's a huge, huge uh, education cycle that's going to happen over the next year. Um, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of misunderstanding, um, but there's a lot of people that want to know what's going on. And so it was fun to hang out and, and have those conversations and practice transactions or just doing transactions, buying a bottle of agua for a dollar. You know, I was, I was using Strike and it, it, it was just, you know, I could use an LN URL or I could scan a QR code. It work. Both would work very well. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's some some skepticism down there. Uh, and I. I but overall, I would say within a year, uh, it's it's going to be operating very smoothly and people are going to understand it in El Salvador. Yeah. And I think I think something that obviously helps is the number go up aspect. You know, if you know they were given was everyone there who signed up with the wall given thirty dollars of Bitcoin, I believe. And, uh, you know, if they didn't spend it right away and I know that could be hard and um for anyone, you know, who doesn't have a ton of money, but if they didn't and they see that aspect of, you know, it, it going up in value, I feel like that's a pretty, pretty big incentive to be like, Hey, this is doing the opposite of every money that I've ever known. Like, why is that? Yeah. And, and the remittance and the savings, it's, mm -hmm. it's very convenient being able to pay utilities without having to do a bus ride. Uh, it, it's bringing a lot of convenience to those people that are, let's say, uh, learning how to use it and, and uh, it quickly becomes useful. Definitely. Um, all right. So let's get into, uh, you put together um, 18 best use cases, uh, use case scenarios for Bitcoin. Uh, if you want to kind of just go through them. So, yeah, I, I want to, I want to find my quote on, um, on the reason why I did this. I, you know, I, when I was down there in El Salvador, I, I heard uh, the Minneapolis, Federal Reserve, uh, he, he's the president, and his, his name is Neil Kashkari. Uh, anyway, he said, I've not seen any use case other than funding illicit activities like drugs and prostitution. And uh, when I heard that, I was, I, I was just dismayed. I, you know, I, and I just kept thinking about it. So I, while I was down there for five weeks, I, I compiled this list of 18. I just re recently added 19. So now I have a 19 user case scenario. But it was really in response to, to Neil saying that. I mean, this guy is obviously uh, trying to mislead the public. Uh, he's being dishonest here. Uh, there is many use cases other than prostitution and uh, drugs for, for Bitcoin. And so th these, these, uh, these 19 use cases, 
use case scenarios are uh, are in a response to uh, Neil uh, really really misrepresenting Bitcoin to to the general public. Uh, I, in fact, I, I even wrote my representative on on what he said. It was I, I think it's it's terrible when, when our our, our paid government employees are, are purposely uh, misleading the, the public. Yeah, I, I agree there. I, I mean, um, I, I see it on Twitter a lot of different elected officials and they'll say something about Bitcoin that's not true or they use a broad statement of cryptocurrency and they don't, yeah, like they're not getting the full truth out there. And, you know, they have they have this big platform and people aren't informed on, you know, what, what Bitcoin is. And it's always funny to see just Bitcoin Twitter, just <laughs> lay into the comments. It's, it always makes me laugh. It is. Well, the first, the first use case scenario I have is hedges against file debasement. And uh, what that is, is money printing. Uh, I, I didn't say inflation because inflation uh, is a big topic. It has many variables, but the biggest variable for inflation is money printing by these fiat currencies. And so I put fiat debasement because that's very crystal clear. That's money printing. And uh, again, this, this relates to some of our other, politi- uh, our, our other uh, elected officials. Uh, they're out there saying that uh, it's because of corporate greed is why prices are going up. Well, that is, that is dishonest. Uh, you know, never mind the trillions of dollars that have been printed over the past 18 months, as if that has nothing to do with inflation. And, and if you really look at the problem, uh, that's clearly money printing is the biggest variable. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, that's and, a, that's and, a- and, Sorry, let, me add, let me add one more thing. You, we often see uh, recent articles coming out saying, ah, oh, inflation is going up and Bitcoin's going down. Uh, Bitcoin is not a good hedge against inflation. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't take a week window or a month window and write this article, zoom out, and it's crystal clear that, that Bitcoin is a hedge against inflation. Yeah, definitely. You know, you look at, like you said, they take a week snapshot and it's down whatever percent, but they don't zoom out even to, even if they zoomed out to a year, like it's hundreds of a percent of growth like year over year. And then forget about anything longer than that. Like taking a very small piece of information to, to spin it a certain way. And, and that also leads into the, uh, the second use case, which is hedges against sovereign default. And I, I want to attribute this to, to Greg Foss because he's such a good writer and speaker on this topic. And, uh, and on my website on, on Zenimal.xyz, I, I have a references page where I, I list his work. You can link to his work very easily, which is why every fixed income needs to consider Bitcoin as a portfolio insurance and so you look at Turkey, for example, Greg was the one who says, you know, take a look at the CDSs, the credit default swaps. And, and Turkey has been looking uh, bad on that list for, for months. In fact, uh, they're around, I, I think they're around 500 basis points. I, I look at, I'm looking at the list there at the very bottom and it says 500 something. I'm interpreting, interpreting that as 500 basis points. So what that means is, if, you know, divide that by 100. So they have to add, Five percent insurance. If somebody wants insurance on on their bonds, for their so so that's a lot. I mean, that's they're digging their grave for that Turkish uh, currency, right? It is it is not it is not doing well, and especially over the past month. What, what was it? Uh, ten dollars or ten lire to uh, to the U.S. dollar, and now it's up around seventeen or eighteen in the past month. So yes, uh, the CDS is a good way to give you a, a good window into the risk of these, these fiats around the world and, and who's going to be next to, to follow you know, Venezuela, Lebanon, and I think Turkey's going down that path too. Yeah, and I mean, it's almost a, like Greg Foss says, it's um, all fiat currencies are like programmed to debase. People think it's, it can't happen here because it's the US dollar too. Um, and maybe it's not happening as fast as other countries, but that's just because the U.S. is at the top 
Um, and, and, and also, I, I, I belong to, on this one topic, I, I really do subscribe to, let's call it the Michael Saylor uh, belief that the U.S. dollar is actually going to strengthen. And that also ties in what some people call the, the, the U.S. dollar milkshake theory. In other words, as these, these other smaller fiats start to you know, pop like popcorn, they're going to run to safety, which is the U.S. dollar. So the U.S. dollar, uh, I, I agree with Michael Saylor, it's going to strengthen. And it can run very concurrently with, with Bitcoin, uh, not only short term, but I think long term also. Uh, they, they can serve different utilities. Yeah, I think um, what does he say that the U.S. dollar is like your checking account and Bitcoin is your savings account? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And insures property rights. That's number three for the use case scenario. Uh, you know, you can't take gold on an airplane. You, you can't mail it. Uh, but one thing about uh, Bitcoin is it provides a capital flight contingency. You, you have to, this is for the custodial pe- or the non-custodial people that are holding their private key. As long as, as, long as you can um, move that private key from, from one country to another, um, you have access to, to, to all your money. And so it, it is a, it ensures your property rights. Yeah. It's a, um... It's an interesting piece to think about where you, um, your private key can be in your head uh, too. Um, I think I was listening to a podcast, I think it was yesterday, and it might have been with Mark Moss and Peter McCormick and just talking about how, you know, you know, back in history, anytime people had to flee a country or something, they couldn't bring their property with them, their money, whatever it might be, they couldn't, they couldn't do that. And now that is possible if something's going wrong in a country and they need to leave, they can, they can buy Bitcoin um, and store, store that seed phrase in their head and they can bring their wealth with them, which is, again, I feel like no one really thinks about that currently because it's kind of been, for the most part, in most, most of the Western world, it's been a kind of like a stable situation. So people don't think like that's, that could ever happen, um, even though it does happen in smaller, smaller, uh, underdeveloped countries. Oh yeah, and on the fourth one, I have um, protects human rights because Bitcoin is censorship resistant. Censoring Bitcoin transactions is is effectively impossible. Uh, you know, some might argue, well, they 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 can censor it in China. It's like, well, yes and no, um, but everywhere else, clearly it is in fact, effectively impossible. Uh, and also the second layer transactions like Lightning Network or Liquid Networks, or li- Liquid Network, uh, it, it provides cash-like privacy. So protecting human rights uh, is, I think, a very important use case scenario. Uh, you know, when you, when your life is on the line, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a Bitcoin is a valuable resource. Um, and also I break down the, let's, let's call it the money part of it. I, the next one, five, six, and seven, it's really the best store of wealth, best medium of exchange, and also uh, best medium of exchange for everyday transactions. And, and of course, see, this is going to evolve right now. Uh, the best store of wealth Bitcoin is the best store of wealth is uh, it, it, it has won that category. Uh, you know, it's going to continue to grow forever. Um, it has the best. And if we break the best store of wealth down into different elements, um, uh, you know, I think plan B really brought this to everyone's awareness is the stock to flow scarcity model is, yeah, you can have, you know, store of wealth in, in real estate or gold or silver, but let's compare these things based on stock to flow. And, and what is stock to flow? Well, gold has stock. And as you mine new gold, that's the flow. And depending on the store of wealth, uh, you can use that same stock to flow analysis to see which one is most, most scarce. Well, Bitcoin is becoming the most scarce asset out there. So it provides a very good store of wealth. And I'm saying the best store of wealth, because it's not just, it's not just 
let's call it plan B's um, stock to flow model, but there's a network effect on top of that that brings more value. And, uh, and the digital quality uh, that you can move this attribute that you can move it around the world at the speed of light. These, these are attributes that are very valuable that will increase the, that's uh, gonna continue to grow that market cap. And the best medium of exchange for large interaction, transactions, cl clearly the bet, Bitcoin network is the most secure network, most, so most secure software network on the planet. Um, so for doing large transactions, say you wanna move a billion dollars from London to, to New York, um, the most secure way to do that right now is using the, the Bitcoin network. And, and also the best medium of exchange, number seven for the use case scenario, that's just for everyday transactions. And that's, that's emerging, okay? I mean, I did my first Lightning Network transaction when I was in El Salvador. I mean, you can't really do it very easily in the United States because it could be a taxable event, but not down in, uh, not down in El Salvador. So, uh, you know, where you, you can scan a QR code to, to buy a coffee for, you know, a couple of dollars and, and then uh, type in the amount and then push enter and, and confirm it and then see it confirm in two seconds and actually see it show up uh, on the other person's uh, phone or, or iPad uh, was, was super impressive. Like for example, I went in to buy a bottle of water from, from lady down in El Zante and she had a small shop and uh, I, I got the dollar out of the, the, the freezer. I, I, I scanned her, her L, or I typed in her L URNL uh, that was up on her wall. Uh, I, I put in the, the amount and I, or I asked her how much it was and I, I, I typed it in, sent it and showed it to her with a little green check mark on it with the, the amount that I had put in. And she just smiled and waved up, you know, said gracias and, and you know, she didn't open her phone to check it. She, she's that confident about it. So when I say the medium of exchange, um, best medium of exchange for everyday transactions, um, that's an example of how this outperforms our, our current technology. Now, when I'm using Stripe, that costs me one penny to do that transaction. But if I, is, if I was using a, a, a non-custodial wallet, like Bitcoin Beach or, or Moon, um, that transaction would have cost probably like one five hundredth of a penny and it would have been just as fast. So, I mean, that is more secure than Visa. It's more private than Visa. It's more inclusive than Visa. It's more energy efficient than Visa. It has more transaction capacity than Visa. And I'm talking MasterCard, all of them. The Lightning Network is doing that of course, it's just starting, but it's going to continue to grow and it's going to disrupt the credit card business and, and these other, uh, you know, remittance um, that cost quite a bit more. So, yeah, this, is, this Lightning Network is going to be disruptive and it will provide the best medium of exchange for everyday transactions. So something interesting to think about with those uh, couple like examples is you know even sending the money on the base layer blockchain um, for Bitcoin, it's a it's a relatively small fee, and it's instant finality. Like that that means the money got there, and you know like you said, seemed like ten minutes, could be an hour. Um, and I know every time I've used it, it's like I mean it's pretty fast. I mean usually it it goes through within the 10 minutes. I think there's only been one time where it takes a decent amount of time. Um, and that just depends on the network and if there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, but then, like you said too, on a transactional level, something that's interesting for that piece is, you know, I think smaller countries are probably gonna benefit and places that adopt Bitcoin like El Salvador are gonna benefit immensely from that. They're gonna like, it's almost like they have to do it because, it's going to benefit them so much. And I feel like we're going to, we're not going to see that here, you know, for quite some time. I mean, that's how I think about it. Like you said, it's where in the U S it's still, um, 
you know, taxes property. So, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, this next point is going to be a little bit uh, controversial with amongst our, let's call our, call it the, our Bitcoiner friends, because uh, I, I'm saying that I, I believe eventually it will become a preferred global unit of account. And my logic on that is, well, look at the fir first three. We're, we're already at the store of wealth. We we're, we're going, we're clearly medium of exchange for large transactions. And now we're getting into medium exchange for everyday transactions. So, you know, five, 10 years down the road, um, you know, if you, if, if we're, when Bitcoin is successful in all three of those, why wouldn't it become a global unit of account? Well, there's, there's debate as to how volatile Bitcoin will be. Well, I, that can get into a lot of discussion, but I, I, I think eventually it will become a unit of account, regardless of the fact that the US dollar and Bitcoin can, can coexist in a mutually beneficial way for a long time. Meaning that like, uh, like many Bitcoiners say, uh, Bitcoin will be your savings account and the US dollar will be your checking account. And that can, that can run for perhaps decades, but I think eventually we will get to a, a global unit of account where, you know, Bitcoin and SATs will be, uh, will become a unit of, of account, global unit of account. Yeah, it'll be interesting to, to say to, if that did happen, say my, when my kids are older, because I have the Fold app. And it'd be funny to say like, yeah, I earned this amount of sats just for everyday purchase. And they're like, you got that many sats just to make like a regular purchase if, if it did get to that scenario. So it's cool to think about. It is. And the remittance is, which is the next use case scenario. It, it's a big deal in, in not only in El Salvador, but countries around the world. And uh, when you can transfer something for less than a penny in two seconds, um, and it doesn't matter. I mean, think about it. I'm buying a bottle of water. I'm using uh, the strike account. I'm from the United States. Technically, that's a perhaps an international transaction, and it's that convenient. Uh, imagine how, how much time and, and money that is saving people in El Salvador and people around the world when they don't have to, you know, get into their car or a bus and go to the the next city to. Uh, to go to a Western Union, they don't have to do that. They don't, they don't have to pay the fees. It's, it's saving a lot of time and money. That's a really big deal. And, and also the next use case scenario is inclusion. Um, this, this also ties in, I mean, all you have to have is, is a phone. You have a smartphone and you know, then you have basically near zero cost for transactions and you have real savings, unlike US dollar where it's melting like an ice cube because of money printing. Uh, you can escape that. You can exit. It's your life raft. You can get out of that uh, more or less a central bank stealing your savings, stealing your fixed income. You know, uh, this, this is a, this is radically, this is, in, this is inclusive because there's, as you know, many people in El Salvador and around the world, you know, they don't have the documentation to do, KYC, know your customer, or, or what is it, the ALC, the anti-laundering, um, uh, I don't even know what that stands for, the European KYC equivalent. Um, but, but there's a lot of people around the world that don't have bank accounts. And so suddenly, and this is a big deal, uh, we've seen it in El, in El Zante, you know, Bitcoin Beach, where the people uh, got their, their account with, with the Bitcoin, Bitcoin Beach wallet, and they didn't spend their money as fast. They started saving it because it, because they had their bank on their phone, more or less. Yeah, and something to add there is, uh, you know, when El Salvador made um, illegal tender and they rolled out the wallets, um, it, that anyone who had a smartphone was instantly banked. And I feel like traditional like traditional banks not it, haven't been able to do that. Um, I, I remember seeing some stats. I think the president had tweeted it out about it of just the amount of people that got banked in a short amount of period of time compared to, um, you know, traditional banking sector. So like you said, that's, that, that just brings huge value that in time back to people who had to waste time to, in order to go to a bank or, or do something uh, in particular to extra to get money or whatever it might be. 
it's a digital transformation of the soul, not just for people that you know live in the industrialized countries, but for everyone around the world. It, it is inclusive. And, and also I'm gonna say it's radically inclusive because when technology improves and the resulting savings are added to Bitcoin, the energy that is added to Bitcoin, Bitcoin you know, that lady that, that has her savings at selling water in El Zante, she benefits from that when the price goes up because other people are taking their savings and are putting it into Bitcoin and she has her savings in Bitcoin, she benefits. She's included in, te- in, the, in this new era of technology. She's participating because we're all using Bitcoin. And also Bitcoin here is a number 12 reveals uh, the currency manipulation. And I'm just reading this off of my Zenimal XYZ uh, website under use cases. Um, it, it, it reveals currency manipulation. It's pretty simple to, to compare the USD or other uh, currencies to Bitcoin around the world and then look at the official exchange rate. And when you see those differences, it reveals con- currency manipulation. Also, here's number 13, promises a decentralized internet network. Um, This is really important to me. I I was, when I was young and I was super excited about the internet, I joined a search engine company called Folio. And, uh, you know, we we had the best search engine out there for reference material like medical and and, uh, legal large reference material. and the internet came along and it promised this decentralized vision. Well, we all know that that was stymied by the great Chinese firewall and no longer really decentralized, but it, they got a lot of control over, over what, what the content and so on. So as that, and, and also, you know, the U S actually hasn't helped um, completely in providing decentralized internet. They, they've also um, thrown up some block, blocks or roadblocks in that area also. But what I'm excited about is, is not only does Bitcoin provide uh, unbreakable um, cryptography, but the network also is providing a path for, for not just currency, but also for um, messaging. And if you look at the Lightning Network, that protocol is very promising for expanding um, that kind of decentralization to the internet. So I think it's gonna help expand the decentralization. It's gonna provide an example of how we can improve the internet over the next coming decades. Yeah, I think the, uh, the decentralization point is, is key. Um, I know I, I can say that to someone if they, like they asked me a question about it, but to really kind of almost understand it, it takes a lot of work. Um, cause it's so like, that's, that's the main difference, uh, and, and what really kind of gives, gives it its value. Um, and it's, it's crazy to think about just how I still, every so often I, I, I like think to myself, I'm like, how did these people, if it was a group of pe- people or one person, whatever, just how did they put all this together? And I know it's like years of, you know, failed attempts in the past and history and stuff, but just the way it was constructed, it's just, it's always mind blowing to me whenever I sit back and think about it. It is in the lightning network. It's going to provide, you know, transactions, but also savings. And I, I believe free speech. There's a little bit of room there for us to transfer information across the lightning network that can be perhaps used for, for other purposes, such as, configuring networks that it's highly secure. So I I think that's going to be leveraged for expanding free speech, uh, especially for the unbanked, for the disenfranchised, for for those who are subjugated. I I believe it's very promising. Um, uh, The next one, number 14, uh, separates money and state. And I I know that's for some people, especially the the non-coiners, that that they're just like, what are you talking about? I, I believe we're going to go there uh, because Bitcoin, it decentralized, centralized economies into a free money market or a free market money system. And the best way to understand this, I, I think 
there's a website out there called uh, WTF, what happened in 1971. And they clearly show that when we went to a fiat currency for the US dollar in 1971, productivity continued to grow, but uh, real wages, not nominal wages, real wages flattened out. And so since 1971, real wages have been very flat for the, the working class, whereas the financial class is doing very well. So, uh, so what I mean by it decentralized, decentralized economy, well, if you look back since 1971, what's happening is with these, let's, let's call it Keynesian economics. Every time we have a crisis, we do more stimulus with more printing. And that's been accelerating with each crisis. And so with that more printing, we are centralizing the economy more. So uh, when you have Bitcoin, uh, you can't print more energy. You can't print more Bitcoin. And so as Bitcoin, its adoption grows and increases, it's going to be like a hydraulic effect. Uh, the centralized economy where they, they, they steal the wages, the savings, the fixed incomes with, with money printing, uh, they aren't going to be able to do that in the future because you can't print energy. And that's, that's what Bitcoin is all about, is it's a 21 million coin cap, Bitcoin cap. You can never have any more than that. And uh, that's, that's a big part of the proof of work. You, central banks cannot print energy. So, so the, let, me, let me make one more point on that. Bitcoin is, I, I believe, a way to get back to the free market, free, uh, free market from our current which I believe our, our system is mostly a centralized economy. It's going to continue to grow into a stronger or a bigger centralized economy as we're going through this, this crisis in the world. Uh, but our way out of it, and I think, uh, like I agree with Jeff, it's our only way out. It's, it's our only peaceful way to get out of our current system where money printing is, is, you know, the, the primary, the, it is the centralized economy. And um, I'll, I'll move over to the next one. Do you, do you want to say anything about that uh, on the decentralized uh, or the central, our, what I, I say, you know, the U.S. economy is mostly a centralized economy now? Yeah, no, nothing in particular. It was all good, good stuff. Some, sometimes I, um, I like just saying nothing because um, I find that's, I don't remember, I don't remember what podcast I was listening to, but I said that they basically said on it, the best interviewers are the ones who just let the, the people they're interviewing just talk. So I've, I've, I'm kind of just enjoying what you're saying, to be honest. I, I you know, I, I agree with that, that approach. I, I really like, you know, the kind of the Larry King style of interviewing, but, but to claim that the U S economy is a centralized economy. I, I think that that's somewhat provocative. And I, I don't think all the listeners would, would agree with that. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think all the listeners have looked at WTF, uh, what happened right. in 1971, to really understand how that's how we're evolving towards that. No, yeah, I can definitely agree, and that something that is has been that I see and that I've I've hear, heard from people is that cap like capitalism is bad, and it's like like what like yeah, there's been like capitalism, but it's like basically crony capitalism. It's really socialism for the rich for the most part, um, you know, with uh, like bailouts in 2008, it, it hasn't been true form capitalism. Um, and a lot of people just like to say the rich, the rich just get richer. And um, like, they even put that point towards Bitcoin too, where pe they just like, well, the rich can buy one Bitcoin and I can't like, and that's, that's the way it's kind of looked at. Yeah, I, I think crony capitalism is, is one way to look at it. But for me, I, I think Keynesian capitalism is actually a little bit more descriptive because here is a, a, an economist that said we need to stimulate the economy uh, you know, when you get into recession and hard times and so on. And, and the problem is, is that both parties use uh, either lowering their taxes or, or, or spending a lot of money, or, excuse me, on the fiscal side, spending a lot of money. Uh, and in both cases, the monetary needs to start printing like crazy. So uh, again, 
if you look at this website, WTF, uh, well, not WTF, uh, what happened in 1971, I think they might have a chart on there showing how our debt is going up that high. Might, might not be correct on that. But I, you can clearly see both parties are increasing the debt since, since 1971. It, it's a problem. It, it's, it, it's, it, it's an apolitical problem. Yeah, and, and something to say about that website, WTF happened in 1971.com. If, if you haven't gone and looked at it, go take a look. It's not reading or anything. It's all charts. And it kind of just shows, you know, I basically what the, the website says, what happened in 1971. Um, and if you're having questions about what did happen in 1971, um, that, that's basically when we went off the gold standard. Um, and it was just fiat monetary standard moving forward. So for anyone that hasn't checked out that website, highly recommend. Yes. And before I jump forward, I, I do want to say one thing about uh, number two, you know, a hedge against sovereign default. One thing that I didn't really cover that Greg Foss covers very well is he talks about the debt um, spiral. And in, I'll put this in my words, we've gone beyond the event horizon. We are falling into a black hole. And mathematically, what that means is our, our debt is much larger than our GDP. Now, if you look at global debt, it's even much larger. Global debt is much larger, perhaps four times the growth of our GDP. And what that means is our debt is growing faster than our GDP. Uh, it is we we can't escape this. And so devaluation of fiat currencies around the world are going to accelerate. So I just wanted to, to add that. I think that's an important point that, that uh, Greg Foss does a very good job of covering. But I'm going to jump ahead to 16, which is, um, or 15, uh, proof of work accelerates renewable energy. And, and I, I want to also add uh, energy use is climate neutral. And I'm gonna probably uh, not be agreeable to some of my uh, Bitcoiner friends, especially ones that, that are down in Houston. But I, I consider energy use as climate neutral and burning fossil fuel aggravates climate change. Uh, first of all, on the proof of work um, and Bitcoin, it puts stranded power to work with minimal transformer and transmission costs. There are stranded resources out there. And it can be, uh, you know, hydroelectric, it can be solar, it can be wind. Well, when you can bring in uh, a bunch of ASICs and, and make money off of that, that's, that's helpful for, uh, for putting that stranded power to work. It also, it, it, number 15.2, uh, uh, incentivizes geothermal development and other renewables that would otherwise not be developed. For example, when I was in El Salvador, I saw one of these geothermal uh, locations where they're producing electricity, but they have a lot of volcanoes down there. And so down where they're gonna be, be building Bitcoin city with Bitcoin, now they could you know, drill two holes, pump water down in one, bring steam out the other, run it through a turbine and then create electricity. But you, you do that on a large scale and there's no city there, you're gonna be losing money fast because you have all that capital costs. Well, with Bitcoin now, you can bring in all these ASICs and start generating money and then slowly wean off these miners as the city grows. And so it's a big, it, it really helps us develop renewables around the world. We just didn't have that, that way of developing renewables in the past. We had to either have a chicken or an egg or a city and the energy, or they had to slowly evolve together. Now we can really develop the energy on a large scale, reduce costs, and then develop Bitcoin City um, in El Salvador. And so this, this is a, a big uh, uh, development for being able to develop our, our renewable energies. Yeah, I think when I uh, initially started like learning about the um, energy piece of it, because that was a lot of people's pushback on it. It's like a waste of energy. And um, one, don't think it's a waste of energy for what it's solving for. Obviously, you and I know what that's is good for. Um, but two, 
I think when I really like first heard about like, you know, stuff that you were just talking about was that interview with, um, I think it was Michael Saylor and Ross Stevens that really kind of like opened my eyes up and I was like, I had never thought about anything like what they're talking about. And it kind of, kind of blew me away almost. So. Well, yeah. I, I'm a mechanical engineer. So, I mean, this is the kind of stuff I, I love to think about. Um, so this is right up my alley. Uh, the next one uh, reduces flared gas emissions. You, you know, people think, Oh, you just, you know, light it on fire and burn it off. And it, you know, oxidizes all the nasties. Not true. If, if you bring out a, a gas turbine and run it through the gas turbine, you're going to get a much cleaner burn. And you can also take that energy and, 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 you know, run Bitcoin miners. So it does help reduce gas emissions significantly. Um, also the combination of utility power and Bitcoin mining, that combination will reduce consumer costs you know, for Bitcoin city and places in Texas, it's, it's already going down that path. And also just one more topic. Uh, this is a smaller topic, proof of work, uh, Bitcoin mining. It also incentivizes more efficient uh, computer chips as we've seen the, the development of, of the ASICs. Number 16, I'm, I'm even gonna go further. I'm gonna say Bitcoin is ESG. ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. And, and a lot of my, let's call them my non-engineering friends that think that if, you, if you're burning energy, um, that's a bad thing for the environment. I, I, my, my position is, no, it's not. It's neutral. It's burning fossil fuel that is bad or aggravates climate change. There's a big difference there. And so... Um, what Bitcoin does, the reason why I say Bitcoin is ESG is because Bitcoin flips the incentive from hyperconsumption to conservation or to savings. And, and that's all tied in with this concept of, of the, you know, digital transformation for the soul. Hey, if, rather than getting money that you know is, is melting like an ice cube, so you have to sell it or spend it so that you can get back into your physical world of savings, you don't have to do that with Bitcoin. Um, you, you, you want to save money and, and you see your, your habits changing. And so savings, you, you look at the, the long term. So um, when, when, you, when you start to get off zero and buy a little bit of Bitcoin, you'll start that path of, of uh, being a big time consumer to really becoming more of a conservationist. And, uh, you know, technologies, technology, like Jeff Bruce says, it's, it's highly deflationary. And he, in, in his book, the book, uh, The Price of Tomorrow, clearly uh, clarifies that all these prices going up that, we, that we've been experiencing for decades is, is really due to uh, central banks and, and money printing. Why, why is it that all this technology is happening we're making things more efficient, but prices keep going up. And so that's a problem and it's not good. And sometimes you, you have these, let's call them Keynesian journalists get out there and say, no, uh, inflation is a good thing. And uh, I strongly disagree with that. So my position is when you really start to understand Bitcoin, uh, I think we can have a discussion of, of, of saying, hey, Bitcoin is ESG. And if we, if we start talking about um, climate change and as Bitcoin are saying, oh, climate change doesn't exist as we, if we are climate change deniers, I, I think that's actually a disservice to Bitcoin because Bitcoin is, you know, it's an apex environmental solution because it flips the incentive from hyperconsumption to conservation. So I have about four points under this, this, this one um, use case scenario where Bitcoin is ESG. Yeah, that, that last piece is really interesting. Haven't, I haven't heard of it that way um, because you're right. Like, like I mentioned earlier, Bitcoin changes your time preference to a low time preference where, oh, maybe I don't need that specific item or thing um, or I don't need to consume that. And that could be in products and services, or that could be, um, you know, the crappy food that you're eating and maybe you want to eat healthier or not eat as much kind of thing. 
but yeah, no, it's a great point. Yeah, and I'll I'll go to the next um, use case scenario: BTC moving notes and bonds to a free market interest rates. Um, like we've already talked about, money printing has transformed the, the U.S. into a centralized economy. I mean, and and fiat. The longer you're a Bitcoiner, the more you realize. You know, the further you go down the rabbit hole, the more you realize how broken our, our currency is and continues to drift away from, from free market forces. In other words, uh, our, the interest rates are highly manipulated and it's only been getting worse. You know, we used to have 14% interest rates and now we're pretty much down to zero uh, or very close to that. And uh, so they can't manipulate the market by reducing interest rates. So now they're just reduced to just printing and that's gonna accelerate. So Bitcoin is the exit, it's the lifeboat. And uh, now that there are um, services out there where you can actually get yield on Bitcoin and there's gonna be loans on Bitcoin. In fact, there's gonna be a Bitcoin bond coming uh, early first quarter of next year. El Salvador is gonna have a $1 billion bond. So, so Bitcoin, where, where the free market, the so-called free market interest rates are, are like a beach ball. They're, they're being pushed down underneath this water and they, they're, they, they're wanting to just burst out of that. Um, but our, our, our Fed, the central bank, is buying treasuries to artificially reduce that interest rate to bring them down. And, um, and for those who aren't really into bonds, let me make this pretty simple. How can we have 6.8% inflation rates and then have a 10-year note where it has roughly a 1.5% uh, yield? How can you have a 6.8% inflation rate? That's not free market. That's highly manipulated. In other words, you're, you're losing real money if you get a 1.5% on your US dollar over 10 years. And that's why it's a beach ball being pushed underneath the water. It's wanting to come out. And it's, when it happens, it's going to shoot up very high. So what, what, what Bitcoiners, you know, we all talk about hyper Bitcoinization. I think that event is going to happen. When it's going to happen, I don't know. But I, I believe it will happen eventually. So, um, so I'll leave BTC moving uh, notes and bonds to a free market interest rate. But that's definitely a use case scenario that uh, Neil Kashkari, our, our, our Minneapolis Fed pre Federal Reserve president, clearly wouldn't want to talk about that one. But also there's speculative attacks. And this is an important concept. This is a way we can get back to the free market rates. This is how Bitcoin is going to help us get back to a free market economy. Um, what is a speculative attack on USD? Uh, I think the examples are the best way to look at that. Uh, MicroStrategy, for example, they'll, they'll issue a note for, for MicroStrategy and then go purchase BTC. And so as, as, this, uh, as they're paying a very low interest rate on that note, uh, Bitcoin continues to go up for primarily for two reasons. One is the number of users of Bitcoin keeps increasing year after year after year. And also it becomes more valuable because of Metcalf's law or the network effect. So it's not just the number of users that are using it, but the network effect is adding to that value. And so uh, with the BTC that he buys, it's gonna go up in value. And so he makes a big spread between the two. Another example of a, of a speculative attack is gonna be El Salvador when they issue a Bitcoin bond. They're going to get $1 billion for this, for more than likely oversubscribed Bitcoin bond or volcano bond. And uh, they're going to spend $500 million to go out and buy Bitcoin with that. And then another five, the other half, they're going to spend on infrastructure, which I believe is going to include building that new geothermal for Bitcoin city. So that's a speculative attack on the US dollar. So that I believe is going to accelerate. If the Bitcoin bond is successful, you will see other countries do that. I think you're also gonna see other companies start to copy and paste what Michael Saylor has done for his corporation. 
So if that starts to accelerate, speculative tax on the USD is going to become significant. And that I just wrote this uh, 19th use case scenario, and I think this is important. This this I think is probably my my most favored inflection point when I think uh, Bitcoinization may happen. And that is when uh, here's uh, user case use case number 19, central banks hold BTC to defend against the speculative currency attacks. Uh, and here's an example of when that happened. Everyone knows who George Soros is, and he, he performed a speculative attack on the British pound back in 1992. He sold more than one and a half billion dollars of UK sterling, and the British government withdrew from the exchange rate mechanism. And because of that, because they exchanged, or because they, they withdrew, George Soros made over $1 billion in profit by short selling the sterling. That was a speculative attack. So they could have, central banks, one way they're gonna be able to defend from these growing number of speculative attacks, such as bonds and micro strategy, and the the future George Soros that are out there, uh, the best way to defend it will be they will start putting uh, Bitcoin on their books. It's pretty it's pretty interesting when you think about it like that. It's like a, they almost have to do it. <clears throat> Eventually, yes. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you going through those uh, really interesting points, um, and. There were a couple pieces where you went went through it where I hadn't thought about it a certain way, or maybe it just wasn't connected where I could understand it. So I really appreciate you going through that and putting it out there. So I'll be sure to share um, your website and all that information in the show notes so people can find it. Um, Thank you. I think the, as far as the show notes are concerned, please put the xenomal.xyz and that's where you can find the the references for, for uh, the use cases. And also another page for uh, Plan B for uh, Jeff Booth and his fabulous book. Mm-hmm. And also for um, Greg Foss and his, the work that he created that, that influenced me. And also I'm going on that same page in about just before Christmas, I'm going to go ahead and, and publish a paper that I'm working on right now called uh, Bitcoin and a renaissance trifecta and it, it's turning out to be a pretty good paper and I, I you know maybe we can come back and talk about that later on sometime yeah definitely i'm always open to it um so yeah if you i guess the last question to wrap it up that i've asked everyone if you had to give your bitcoin elevator pitch to somebody what would you say um i i i, I have to ask them questions to kind of find out what they're into but I think one that seems to be getting traction is Bitcoin is better than gold over time. And we kind of talk about that. Um, and it's definitely over, better than gold over space, which is increasingly uh, important, you know, with the digitization of, of our transactions. Um, and gold just doesn't do it very well. Um, you can't move gold around the world like you can move Bitcoin. Um. So I guess to close, where can uh, people find or, or follow you? I know you kind of mentioned some of it, but. Yeah, sorry, I jumped ahead on that. Um, my, <laughs> sorry. My, my, uh, my handle on Twitter is Brian with a Y, B, Solston, S-O-L-S-T-I-N. But again, you can find my Twitter handle on xenimal.xyz. And you can also find the, the three books that I I consider it to be most influential to me, you know, the Plan B's work and and uh, the prizes tomorrow and and Greg Foss's um, work on on CDSs or credit default swaps. So that's all on Zenimal.xyz. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today to chat, Brian. Um, yeah, definitely. I'm sure you'll share it on social media, uh, and I'm I think I've, I'm pretty sure I follow you on Twitter now. Um, oh yeah. But, so I'm sure you'll, sh- you'll share it there, but feel free to send it over to me. I'll be happy to take a look at it. So again, really appreciate you taking the time today. I will do that. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah. 
Thanks so much, Brian, for coming on the show. You will find in the show notes links to all that was mentioned, including where you can find and follow Brian Solston. Shout out to Last Call Monday for the intro and exit music and Drawn to Heal for the show's artwork. You can check both of them out from the links in the show notes. If you got this far, thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And if you feel you have a Bitcoin pitch to tell, I want you on the show. Feel free to reach out to me via Twitter at baby underscore pat with two Y's and two T's or email me at bitcoinpitchpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time.